Hey, welcome to Socialism for All. Today's date is October 17, 2020, and this is an audiobook of Social Democracy's Attitude Toward the Peasant Movement by Lenin from 1905. This was originally published in Proletary Number 16, uh, September 14, 1905, published according to the text in Proletary. The source is Lenin Collected Works, Progress Publishers, 1972, Moscow, Volume 9. Translated by the late Abraham Feinberg and Julius Katzer. Transcription and markup by R. Simbala. And hosted online, where I got it, at Marxists.org, the Marxists Internet Archive, and Lenin Internet Archive. Please go check out Marxists.org. They not only had this work, but thousands, maybe tens of thousands of other files that you can access completely for free, running through a text reader, whatever you want to do. Every time that somebody tells me that, you know, the idea of suggesting to read theory is like ableist or classist or whatever, I just want to scream. It's not true. And this is in fact, liberal propaganda. They don't want you to read Marx and they want to make people who tell you to actually get educated in Marxism, historical materialism, and the real struggle for socialism. Not all these anarcho-whatever variants, not all these social democracy whatever, but actual Marxism, they want to make you look like a scold or, you know, some ivory tower elitist. No, just read. You know, people don't read enough, and um, the average person, like, doesn't read a book in a year. That really needs to change. I mean, we need... Uh, you know, especially for people who already consider themselves political, already consider themselves, air quotes, left in some way, well, do the reading and you'll be better at it. You know, if you actually want to get somewhere, I, on this channel, Socialism for All, hold that if we really get organized, agitate, educate and, and organize and push, we could from now in 2020 getting started, have a revolution by 2030. I do hold that. Um, it is entirely possible. So let's just do it. Let's stop complaining. Let's just do it, okay? Because complaining doesn't get us anywhere. It's not fun. And it just leads to this endless cycle of having to, uh, you know, vent and get upset about elections or whatever. We don't need that. We need to move on. We need socialism. We need to end capitalism. Okay. So let's get into the text. Um, this is, again, a fairly early uh, piece from Lenin, um, well, early in the sense it was well before the Russian Revolution. Uh, this is around the same time as what is to be done, which is most likely going to be the next thing that I put up on the channel. It is a much longer audiobook at like six plus hours. Okay, let's begin. The tremendous importance of the peasant movement in the democratic revolution Russia is now passing through has been repeatedly explained in the entire social democratic press. As is well known, the third Congress of the RSDLP passed a special resolution on this question in order to define more exactly and to coordinate the activities of the whole party of the class conscious proletariat with regard to the peasant movement of today. Although the resolution was drawn up in advance, the first draft was published in Viperiod, number 11, March of 1905, and although it was carefully gone over at the party congress, which took pains to formulate the views already established throughout the Russian social democratic movement, the resolution has nevertheless perplexed a number of comrades working in Russia. The Saratov Committee has unanimously declared this resolution unacceptable, 
It is to be regretted that an explanation of this verdict, as requested by us at this time, has not yet been forthcoming. We only know that the Saratov Committee has declared also unacceptable the agrarian resolution passed by the new ISKRA conference. Consequently, they are dissatisfied by what is common to both resolutions, not by what distinguishes them. Quick comment from S4A, where Lenin references the social democratic movement here. This is before uh, they started calling themselves the Communist Party. So social democratic at this time is what we would think of as Marxist, uh, socialist, communist. New material on this question is provided by a letter we have received from a Moscow comrade issued in the form of a hectographed leaflet. We print this letter in full. Quote, an open letter to the Central Committee and to the comrades working in the rural districts. Comrades, the regional organization of the Moscow Committee has taken up work among the peasants. The lack of experience in organizing such work, the special conditions prevailing in the rural districts of Central Russia, and also the lack of clarity in the directives contained in the resolutions of the Third Congress on this question, and the almost complete absence of material in the periodical and other press on work among the peasantry, compel us to appeal to the Central Committee to send us detailed directives covering both the theoretical aspect and the practical questions involved, while we ask comrades who are doing similar work to acquaint us with the practical knowledge your experience has given you. We consider it necessary to inform you about the misgivings that have arisen among us after reading the resolution of the Third Congress, quote, on the attitude toward the peasant movement, and about the organizational plan which we are already beginning to apply in our work in the rural districts. Quoting that resolution, quote, to carry on propaganda among the mass of the people, explaining that social democracy aims at giving the most energetic support to all revolutionary measures taken by the peasantry and likely to improve their condition, measures including confiscation of land belonging to the landlords, the state, the church, the monasteries, and the imperial family, unquote, from the resolution of the Third Congress of the RSDLP. First of all, this paragraph does not clarify how party organizations will or should carry on their propaganda. Propaganda requires, first and foremost, an organization standing very close to those who are to be propagandized. Whether this organization should consist of committees of the rural proletariat or whether other organizational forms of oral and printed propaganda are possible, this question remains unanswered. The same applies to the promise to give energetic support. To give support, and energetic support at that, is also possible only if local organizations exist. To us, the question of energetic support seems in general very vague. Can social democracy support the expropriation of landlords' estates that are farmed most intensively, with the use of machinery, cultivating high-grade crops, etc.? The transfer of such estates to petty bourgeois proprietors, however important improvement of their condition may be, would be a step back from the standpoint of the capitalist development of the given estate. In our opinion, we as social democrats should have made a reservation on this matter of, quote, support, quote, provided the expropriation of this land and its transfer to peasant petty bourgeois ownership results in a higher form of economic development on these estates, unquote. Further, quoting the resolution, to strive for the independent organization of the rural proletariat, for its fusion with the urban proletariat, 
under the banner of the Social Democratic Party and for the inclusion of its representatives in the peasant committees, unquote. Doubts arise with regard to the latter part of this paragraph. The fact is that bourgeois democratic organizations such as the Peasant Union and reactionary utopian organizations such as the Socialist Revolutionaries organize under their banner both bourgeois and proletarian elements of the peasantry. By bringing into such peasant committees our representatives from rural proletarian organizations, we shall be contradicting ourselves, our stand regarding a block, etc. Here, too, we believe amendments, and very serious ones, are needed. These are a few general remarks on the resolutions of the Third Congress. These should be analyzed as soon and in as great detail as possible. As regards the plans for a, quote, rural organization in our regional organization, we must say that we have to work under conditions which are not even mentioned in the resolutions of the Third Congress. First of all, it should be noted that the territory we cover, Moscow, Gubernia, and the adjoining Uyezids of neighboring Gubernias, is mainly an industrial area with a relatively low level of handicraft industry, and with a very small section of the population engaged exclusively in agriculture. Huge textile mills, each employing 10,000 to 15,000 workers, alternate with small factories, employing 500 to 1,000 workers, and scattered in out-of-the-way hamlets and villages. One would think that in such conditions, social democracy would find here a most favorable field for its activities, but facts have proved so superficial an assumption does not hold water. Although some of the factories have been in existence for 40 or 50 years, the overwhelming majority of our proletariat have not yet become divorced from the land. The, quote, village has such a strong hold over them that none of the psychological and other characteristics acquired by a, quote, pure proletarian in the course of collective work develops among our proletarians. The farming carried on by our, quote, proletarians is of a peculiarly Lindsay Woolsey type. A weaver employed in a mill hires a laborer to till his patch of land. His wife, if she is not working at the mill, his children and the aged and invalid members of the family work on the same piece of land, and he himself will work on it when he becomes old or maimed or is discharged for violent or suspicious behavior. Such, quote, proletarians can hardly be called proletarians. Their economic status is that of paupers. Their ideology is that of petty bourgeois. They are ignorant and conservative. It is from such that black hundred elements are recruited. However, even among these people, class consciousness has begun to awaken of late. Through the agency of, quote, pure proletarians, we are endeavoring to rouse these ignorant masses from their age-old slumber and not without success. Our contacts are increasing in number and in places our foothold is becoming firmer. The paupers are coming under our influence, beginning to adopt our ideology, both in the factory and in the village. And we believe that it will not be unorthodox to form organizations in an environment that is not, quote, purely proletarian. We have no other environment, and were we to insist on orthodoxy and organize only the rural proletariat, we would have to disband our organization and those in the neighboring districts. Quick comment here from S4A, where he's, uh, or where this pamphlet is talking about the, quote, pure proletariat. Remember that the proletariat was theorized by Marx and Engels, defined as a completely dispossessed worker who really, like, has no possessions at all and just sort of um, 
ten, well, isn't is, is an industrial worker who uh, their only commodity that they have to sell is their labor. What they're talking about here with the peasants and the, you know, quote, rural proletariat, they're putting proletariat in quotes or pure in quotes because they're not completely dispossessed. They have like a little farm of their own in the village and like they will work in a factory, but they also have this little farm. They might even like hire people to work on it. So while this clearly is a destitute working class, they're about as poor as the proletariat. They're not really the proletariat as in a Marxist sense. So they're saying that if they only went with the pure proletariat in the rural regions, they wouldn't have enough people to work with. So therefore, they have to organize this other class of peasants. Um, and as they say, they're having some success doing that. Um, another comment, I mean, in the United States, I think you could say that there's a lot of this. People who live in a very rural area, they're not industrial workers. They maybe even own a little bit of land, but, you know, they're dirt poor. But they have a truck or they have, you know, a little bit of equipment, chainsaws, you know, a snowplow, something. They're not strictly proletariat, but effectively they're like a half an inch away from being proletariat. And therefore, communists should work with and organize these people, even though it's not in the strictest, strictest sense. Okay. Moving on back to the text. We know we shall have difficulties in struggling against the urge to expropriate the arable and other land neglected by the landlords, or those lands which the Holy Fathers in Cowell and Cassock have not been able to farm properly. We know that bourgeois democracy, from the quote, democratic monarchist faction, such a faction exists in Ruza Uyezid, down to the quote, peasant union, will fight us for influence among the paupers but we shall arm the latter to oppose the former. Comment in the United States, of course, many of these like country right-wingers who are poor, paupers, really should be going left, but they're told by the NRA and the Republican Party, etc. You know, the, the GOP is arming them against us. It's actually the opposite of here. Of course, groups like the Socialist Rifle Organization are trying to do the opposite, um, but... You can see, I think, similar dynamics as described here. At we shall make use of all social democratic forces in the region, both intellectual and proletarian, to set up and consolidate our social democratic committees of paupers. And we shall do this in accordance with the following plan. In each Yezid town or big industrial center, we shall set up Yezid committees of groups coming under the regional organization. In addition to setting up factory committees in its district, the Uyezid committee will also set up peasant committees. For reasons of secrecy, these committees should not have many people on them and should be made up of the most revolutionary and capable pauperized peasants. Wherever there are both factories and peasants, workers and peasants should be organized in a single subgroup committee. In the first place, such committees should have a clear and exact idea of local conditions. A agrarian relationships. 1. Peasant allotments, leases, forms of tenure, communal by households, etc. 2. The neighboring land. 2a. To whom it belongs. b. The amount of land. c. What relation the peasants have to this land. d. On what terms the land is held. 1. Labor rent. 
2. Excessive rent for cutoff lands, etc. E. Indebtedness to kulaks, landlords, etc. Point B. Imposts, taxes, the rate of assessment of peasant and landlord lands, respectively. C. Migratory labor and handicraft industries, passports, whether there is winter hiring, etc. D. Local factories and plants, the working conditions there. 1. Wages. 2. Working hours. 3. The attitude of the management. 4. Housing conditions, etc. E. The administration. The rural superintendents, the Volost headman, the clerk, the Volost judges, constables, the priest. F. The Zemsvo, counselors representing the peasants, Zemsvo employees, the teacher, the doctor, libraries, schools, tea rooms. G. Volost assemblies, their composition and procedure. H. Organizations, the peasant union, socialist, revolutionaries, social democrats. So a quick comment there again where that section is like a list of all the different social factors. It says, in the first place, such committees, the the rural committees trying to do this uh, organizing work, should have a clear and exact idea of local conditions. That is really key. Um, If you join the IWW and do their organizer trainings, you will be trained uh, and will practice doing the same thing within a workplace. It's called social mapping. Uh, Who works where, who's related to whom, who carpools with whom, how long has everybody been there, who has charisma, who is shy, uh, who's friends with the boss, who hates the boss, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're talking about doing the same thing, but in an overall like a county. So this is key. You know, if we want to agitate, educate and organize, you've really got to know the ins and outs so that you can navigate them and master them. All right, back to the text. After familiarizing itself with all these data, the Peasant Social Democratic Committee is obliged to get such decisions passed by the assemblies as may be necessitated by any abnormal state of affairs. This committee should simultaneously carry on among the masses intense propaganda and agitation for the ideas of social democracy, organize study circles, impromptu meetings, mass meetings, distribute leaflets and other literature, collect funds for the party, and keep in touch with the regional organization through the Uyezid group. If we succeed in setting up a number of such committees, the success of social democracy will be assured, regional organizer. Unquote, back to Lenin. It goes without saying that we shall not undertake the task of working out the detailed practical directives to which the comrade refers. This is a matter for the comrades on the spot and for the central body in Russia which is guiding the practical work. We propose to take the opportunity presented by our Moscow comrades' interesting letter to explain the resolution of the Third Congress and the urgent tasks of the party in general. It is obvious from the letter that the misunderstandings caused by the resolution of the Third Congress are only partly due to doubts in the field of theory. Another source is the new question, which has not arisen before, about the relations between the, quote, revolutionary peasant committees and the, quote, social democratic committees, which are working among the peasants. The very posing of this question testifies to the big step forward made in social democratic work among the peasants. Questions of, relatively speaking, detail are now being brought into the foreground by the practical requirements of, quote, rural agitation, which is striking root and assuming stable and permanent forms. And the author of this letter keeps forgetting that when he blames the Congress resolution for lack of clarity, he is in fact seeking an answer to a question which the Congress of the party did not raise and could not have raised. 
For instance, the author is not quite right when he says that both propagation of our ideas and support for the peasant movement are possible only if local organizations exist. Of course, such organizations are desirable, and as the work increases, they will become necessary. But such work is possible and necessary even where no such organizations exist. In all our activities, even when carried on exclusively among the urban proletariat, we must never lose sight of the peasant question and must disseminate the declaration made by the entire party of the class-conscious proletariat in the person of the Third Congress, namely, that we support a peasant uprising. The peasants must learn this from literature, from the workers, from special organizations, etc. The peasants must learn that in giving this support, the social democratic proletariat will not stop short of any form of confiscation of the land, i.e. expropriation without compensation to the owners. A question of theory has, in this connection, been raised by the author of the letter, whether the expropriation of the big estates and their transfer to, quote, peasant petty bourgeois ownership should not be specifically qualified. But by proposing such a reservation, the author has arbitrarily limited the purport of the resolution of the Third Congress. There is not a word in the resolution about the Social Democratic Party undertaking to support transfer of the confiscated lands to petty bourgeois proprietors. The resolution states, we support, quote, up to and including confiscation, i.e., including expropriation without compensation. However, the resolution does not in any way decide to whom the expropriated land is to be given. It was not by chance that the question was left open. It is obvious from the articles in the period, numbers 11, 12, and 15, that it was deemed unwise to decide this question in advance. It was stated there, for instance, that under a democratic republic, social democracy cannot pledge itself and have its hands tied with regard to nationalization of the land. Indeed, it is the revolutionary democratic aspect of the peasant uprisings and a particular organization of the rural proletariat in a class party that, at present form, the crux of the matter for us, as distinct from the petty bourgeois socialist revolutionaries. It is not schemes of a, quote, general redistribution or nationalization that is the kernel of the question. The essential thing is that the peasantry see the need for, and accomplish, the revolutionary demolition of the old order. That is why the socialist revolutionaries are pressing for, quote, socialization, etc., while we are pressing for revolutionary peasant committees. Without the latter, we say, all reforms amount to nothing. With them and supported by them, the victory of the peasant uprising is possible. We must help the peasant uprising in every way, up to and including confiscation of the land, but certainly not including all sorts of petty bourgeois schemes. We support the peasant movement to the extent that is, it is revolutionary democratic. We are making ready, doing so now at once, to fight it when, and to the extent that, it becomes reactionary and anti-proletarian. The essence of Marxism lies in that double task, which only those who do not understand Marxism can vulgarize or compress into a single and simple task. Let us take a concrete instance. Let us assume that the peasant uprising has been victorious. The revolutionary peasant committees and the pr provisional revolutionary government, relying in part on these very committees, can proceed to any confiscation of big property. We are in favor of confiscation, as we have already declared. But to whom shall we recommend giving the confiscated land? On this question, we have not committed ourselves, nor shall we ever do so, by declarations like those rashly proposed by the author of the letter. 
The latter has forgotten that the same resolution of the Third Congress speaks of, quote, purging the revolutionary democratic content of the peasant movement of all reactionary admixtures, unquote. That is one point. And secondly, of the need, quote, in all cases and under all circumstances for the independent organization of the rural proletariat, unquote. These are our directives. There will always be reactionary admixtures in the peasant movement, and we declare war on them in advance. Class antagonism between the rural proletariat and the peasant bourgeoisie is unavoidable, and we disclose it in advance, explain it, and prepare for the struggle on the basis of that antagonism. One of the immediate causes of such a struggle may very likely be provided by the question, to whom shall the confiscated land be given and how? We do not gloss over that question, nor do we promise equalitarian distribution, quote, socialization, etc. What we do say is that this is a question we shall fight out later on, fight again on a new field and with other allies. There, we shall certainly be with the rural proletariat, with the entire working class, against the peasant bourgeoisie. In practice, this may mean the transfer of the land to the class of petty peasant proprietors, wherever big estates based on bondage and feudal servitude still prevail, and there are as yet no material conditions for large-scale socialist production. It may mean nationalization, given complete victory of the democratic revolution, or the big capitalist estates being transferred to workers' associations. For from the democratic revolution we shall at once, and precisely in accordance with the measure of our strength, the strength of the class-conscious and organized proletariat begin to pass to the socialist revolution. We stand for uninterrupted revolution. We shall not stop halfway. If we do not now and immediately promise all sorts of, quote, socialization, that is because we know the actual conditions for that task to be accomplished, and we do not gloss over the new class struggle burgeoning within the peasantry, but reveal that struggle. At first, we support the peasantry en masse against the landlords, supported to the hilt and with all means, including confiscation, and then, it would be better to say at the same time, we support the proletariat against the peasantry en masse. To try to calculate now what the combination of forces will be within the peasantry, quote, on the day after the revolution, the democratic revolution, is empty utopianism. Without falling into adventurism or going against our conscience in matters of science, without striving for cheap popularity, we can and do assert only one thing. We shall bend every effort to help the entire peasantry achieve the democratic revolution in order thereby to make it easier for us, the party of the proletariat, to pass on as quickly as possible to the new and higher task, the socialist revolution. We promise no harmony, no equalitarianism or socialization following the victory of the present peasant uprising. On the contrary, we promise a new struggle, new inequality, the new revolution we are striving for. Our doctrine is less, quote, sweet than the legends of the socialist revolutionaries, but let those who want to be fed solely on sweets join the socialist revolutionaries. We shall say to such people, good riddance. In our opinion, this Marxist point of view settles also the question of the committees. In our opinion, there should be no social democratic peasant committees. If they are social democratic, that means they are not purely peasant committees. If they are peasant committees, that means they are not purely proletarian, not social democratic committees. There is a host 
of such who would confuse the two, but we are not of their number. Wherever possible, we shall strive to set up our committees, committees of the Social Democratic Labor Party. They will consist of peasants, paupers, intellectuals, prostitutes. A worker recently asked us in a letter, why not carry on agitation among the prostitutes? Soldiers, teachers, workers, in short, all social democrats and none but social democrats. These committees will conduct the whole of social democratic work in its full scope, striving, however, to organize the rural proletariat especially and particularly, since the Social Democratic Party is the class party of the proletariat. To consider it unorthodox to organize a proletariat, which has not entirely freed itself from various relics of the past, is a tremendous delusion, and we would like to think that the relevant passages of the letter are due to a mere misunderstanding. The urban and industrial proletariat will inevitably be the nucleus of our Social Democratic Labor Party, but we must attract to it, enlighten, and organize all who labor and are exploited, as stated in our program, all without exception, handicraftsmen, paupers, beggars, servants, tramps, prostitutes, of course, subject to the necessary and obligatory condition that they join the Social Democratic Movement and not that the Social Democratic Movement join them that they adopt the standpoint of the proletariat and not that the proletariat adopt theirs. The reader may ask, what is the point then of having revolutionary peasant committees? Does this mean that they are not necessary? No, they are necessary. Our ideal is purely social democratic committees in all its rural districts and then agreement between them and all revolutionary democratic elements, groups, and circles of the peasantry for the purpose of establishing revolutionary committees. There is a perfect analogy here to the independence of the Social Democratic Labor Party in the towns and its alliance with all the revolutionary Democrats for the purpose of insurrection. We are in favor of a peasant uprising. We are absolutely opposed to the mixing and merging of heterogeneous class elements and heterogeneous parties. We hold that for the purpose of insurrection, social democracy should give an impetus to all revolutionary democracy, should help it all to organize should march shoulder to shoulder with it, but without merging with it, to the barricades in the cities and against the landlords and the police in the villages. Long live the insurrection in town and country against the autocracy. Long live revolutionary social democracy, the vanguard of all revolutionary democracy in the present revolution. Okay, that's the end of the audiobook. So there you go. There are a few notes at the end. Uh, there's really just one winter hiring the hire that was mentioned earlier on the hiring of peasants for summer work practiced by the landlords and kulaks during the winter when the peasants were particularly in need of cash and would agree to extortionate terms so that was a uh what did they call that um prejudicial contract i can't remember the term for it anyway it's it's a kind of practice where the terms are just basically you're held at gunpoint to agree to uh, a horrible situation, basically with implied coercion. Okay. Uh, and I'm sure that that kind of thing, well, it still exists among undocumented workers who are, uh, I mean, not that exact um, scenario, but extortionate terms for sure. Undocumented migrant workers and also, you know, travel to the very rural areas of the United States, you know, Montana, Idaho, uh, rural Washington, uh, New Hampshire, Maine, um, you know, out there on the fringes, uh, these places are, you know, Vermont, um, upstate New York, uh, 
there's a lot of weird shit that goes on in these places that is very sketchy, very air quotes, unprofessional. And, um, you know, in some ways resembles feudalism almost more than it does capitalism uh, in terms of like, you know, kind of bondage uh, being above and beyond even, you know, what the proletariat experiences. Okay. Um, so I think this is an interesting piece. You know, I liked, uh, honestly, the pamphlet. I think, you know, that, that, uh, that, that Lenin quoted in full an open letter to the Central Committee and to the comrades working in the rural districts. Um, I think that that's, you know, an interesting sort of boots on the ground interpretation of like what they're encountering out there. And then Lenin, um, I think not overly critically is, you know, helping to correct and hammer out some of the points. Of course, this was in 1905, you know, the, the successful revolution was not till 1917. And then there was, you know, a five year civil war following that. So, um, obviously in the interim, they did figure out the peasant question and, and how to do it. And we'll be, you know, covering uh, many of the in-between pieces here on the channel with time. But um, I guess my point is these are not easy questions, you know, um, trying to have a revolution in a country that, you know, isn't entirely industrialized. You look at the United States now, it's being de-industrialized. We have a service economy on the one hand uh, of, you know, um, gentrified little coffee shops that charge six or seven dollars a cup because that's the only way you can stay in business and the people who work at those and then um you know it's a precarious existence those shops are in and out of existence in a matter of years and the people who work in them are in and out of the jobs in a matter of months uh this is you know hardly the uh you know the age of the factory town and that sort of stable organizing scenario which had its own challenges because you know the um, it was almost like a more feudal mindset, you know, this like local bourgeois nobility air quotes, um, uh, you know, there's definitely in some of the rural regions of the United States still that kind of mentality of like the capitalists are our betters and the, the preachers who are in bed with the capitalists are our betters, you know, and, and we're their flock and all this kind of crap. This is why. You know, um, we could probably never be opposed to religion on a policy basis, but uh, I personally think socialists, Marxists should do everything we can to expose um, that kind of religious organizing. I mean, religion in general has not, on the whole, been super kind to communists um, over the years, even before, you know, uh, Stalin era policies, maybe in the USSR. Um, the Catholic Church was always opposed to socialism, etc. They set up their alternatives to it. Um, but, yeah, we don't live in a place... You know, you look at, for example, um, the major cities. This is something conservatives complain about a lot in the United States. Major cities, the, you know, they say, we need the Electoral College because uh, otherwise, you know, New York City and Los Angeles and a couple of other cities, which all vote Democratic would um decide the election well yeah that's because um they you know have a more advanced socialist progressive whatever attitude not that the democratic party leadership which is controlled by the one percent tends to share those but they're definitely not republicans is the point um 
the Republicans who are openly, you know, antagonistic. Dem- Democrats have only more recently uh, become that openly antagonistic to more progressive uh, policies, at least proving it doubling down time and time again. I mean, they always have been, but they're making such a very public display of it now. Anyway, you get my point. The cities are more liberal is my point. Um, And, you know, the rural areas are not. They are getting picked off ideologically by the bourgeoisie who are turning those people into weapons for reaction, weapons for fascism. And um, the people getting turned are not benefiting at all from that arrangement. I mean, all they get is this modest sense of pride uh, that they're, you know, on the winning side or whatever the fuck. What's my point? Um, The peasant question is a hard question. It was hard to deal with in Russia. It's hard to deal with in the United States. Uh, You know, the Democratic Party obviously is openly alienating towards the more, you know, quote, backward regions, and they're not doing anything. You know, Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables comment um, even if part of that's true, it's not a way to win people over. You need a different, uh, system of, you know, just PR and communications to go about it. Um, it's encouraging to th- see things like redneck revolt and, you know, other organizations, which are on a cultural level, trying to redefine what it means to be country. And that that means having a socialist outlook and not being a tool of, uh, the capitalists who are, you know, setting up the fracking and poisoning your family and, you know, putting you out of work and cutting your education and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm rambling. So on that note, I'm going to call off the commentary. Leave me a comment. What do you think? And uh, was this interesting and uh, everything else? And uh, yeah, thanks to our current patrons whose names are on the screen. You can support Socialism for All at patreon.com slash socialism for all for as little as $2 a month or as many as $200 a month. Every last one of these contributions is encouraging to me. Of course, the more actual money I get, the more time I can spend on this. So give what you can. Obviously, we live in uh, very trying times. But your subscriptions, comments, sharing the video in your Facebook groups, Discord servers, Reddit subs, whatever you do, uh, that is very helpful as well. You can follow us at facebook.com slash socialism for all also facebook.com slash socialism the number four all which i set up as a backup because facebook's throttling the main page hard thank you and for revolution 2030 let's get our shit together see you in the next video